I, I, I mean, most of the time, if you see me yelling in the game, it's because I'm, I'm yelling out they can't guard me, period. So I don't think anybody can guard me. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, fourth meal time, beating Kentucky in basketball time, beating Kentucky and Vandy in the same week time, memorial magic for the visitors time, whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Govals 24-7 podcast, Wes Rucker coming to you here from Fort Rucker Studio, hope everyone's having a great Friday morning. It's almost Friday morning here as I'm recording this here at Fort Rucker Studio. It's about, oh, in less than an hour or so, it'll officially be Friday morning. But we'll have this out to you, as always, by early Friday morning. And I'm going to be honest with y'all. Normally, you know, doing what we do in this business, now we have to do a lot more radio and TV work than we used to do back in just the good old writing days. But obviously, I've the radio thing I've, I've gotten used to over the years doing a show for years with uh, Jason Swain, one of my best friends there. We had Swain and Rucker used to have the old West Rucker show. We do a lot of stuff now with WBR, our partners there locally. Uh, and we, we do all this stuff. And so normally, you know, I don't need a lot of takes for these things. And I'm only saying that because I'm telling y'all when I have to do these things by myself, I can never get them right. Like ever. Because right now, this is just me coming to you here from Fort Rucker Studio. And uh, the fiance is downstairs, probably falling asleep on the couch, if I had to guess. And it's weird because when, when we do these things, you know, on TV and, and all the radio stuff, and I don't usually ever need a second take, but when I got to do this thing by myself, record these intros by myself, or I got to do one of those videos that we have to send in for 24-7 through CBS Sports, and I got to, you know, film myself talking for a couple minutes. It takes me forever. This is like my sixth try at this, and it still sucks. I'm just going to be real with you. This is like the sixth try, and this is still just not very good. You know, it's like the opposite of stage fright. What do you call that? Anti-stage fright? I don't know what you call it. But anyway, uh, now we'll talk about what y'all actually want to talk about, which is Tennessee basketball. What a difference a week can make. We were sitting here about a week ago wondering if Tennessee had hit a wall, if this Tennessee team was just maybe not quite as good as, uh, as a lot of people thought it was or if it is a, a team that, that got a little immature, got a little uh, full of itself uh, and then started to play some worse basketball or if this was just, uh, as we were arguing at the time, just a, you know there's ebbs and flows in a season and Basketball is not football. A couple bad games here or there are not going to be deal breakers. They're, they're not going to they're not going to kill you. Uh, but what you can't do is take a couple of bad games and turn it into three, four, five, six bad games uh, consecutively. And now we've got our answer, uh, which is that Tennessee has responded. That was just a blip, it seems. Tennessee was able to come from behind. All of a sudden, the team that could start games great and not finish them is a team that can't start worth a flip, but can now finish games like crazy. Uh, great come from behind win against Kentucky over the weekend uh, in Thompson Bowling Arena, and then a a, a really really good uh, come from behind win at Vanderbilt, uh, ninety two to eighty four over the the Commodores on Tuesday night in in Nashville, and, and that ninety two points is the most Tennessee had ever scored 
in a game in Memorial. And I've covered so many Tennessee Vanderbilt games in Memorial. And I got to tell you, the first half Tennessee played against Kentucky on Saturday, I've covered a lot of Tennessee-Kentucky games in Thompson Bowling Arena. And that first half by Tennessee was one of the worst, just energy-wise, no effort, no energy, just kind of looked like that team, something was off. And, And then you're talking just a couple halves later, I'm sitting there going, have I ever seen Tennessee play better basketball or at least better offensive basketball in Memorial Gym? And the answer is probably not. And that just shows you how frustrating but how special this team can be. You know, Tennessee is right now has kind of gotten the ship righted a little bit, back to 2-2 and in SEC play, 11-4 and overall, uh, 15th nationally in the Kim Palm rankings, 24th in the AP and the coaches poll. And right now, Tennessee has got a big opportunity again this weekend in SEC play. This is not your uh, your older brother's SEC. This is, a, this is a big-time league. Might not have a national title contender, but has a lot of good teams. And Texas A&M is a team that is 0-4 in SEC play. And I don't know that I've seen a, a more talented 0-4 SEC basketball team than this one. Uh, maybe there have been a couple, and I can't remember them, but – Man, this team has got uh, you know a bonus baby. It's got a, a lottery pick there in Williams, Davis. Uh, this guy's about seven foot. Can can do all kinds of different things. Can score. Can block shots. Alter shots. Can get out and run. Uh, you've got Hogue as a guy about six nine, six ten. Can shoot from the perimeter and do a lot of things. Uh, they got a couple of good guards uh, there too. You know, Gilder. There's a lot of good players on that team, and that team was ranked fifth nationally coming into conference play for a reason. Uh, and this is a team that that don't be fooled by that record, guys. If you're just now showing up after paying attention mostly to college football until college basketball starts, and you see that A&M's 0-4, you know you you might have the wrong impression of, of what this team can do. The Aggies are a very good team, and Tennessee has got to play well uh, to keep this streak going and and to kind of keep playing positively the way they have and keep building on this resume, uh, which is a no doubt slam dunk NCAA tournament resume right now. Uh, but y'all don't want to hear just me talk about this you also want to hear our wonderful wonderful basketball writer Grant Ramey uh, talk about this and uh, just a little bit ago just a few minutes ago actually uh, it would be actually it would be just a few minutes ago but it was more like 15 minutes ago now because I had to take like six or seven takes to get this stupid intro right Ramey and I sat down uh, he was at the uh, Blount County Satellite Office as we call it there in Maryville at his house the Casa de Ramey and I'm here at Fort Rucker Studio but thanks to the wonders of modern technology, we were able to sit down and talk a little Tennessee basketball uh, the week that was, the week that will be going forward, some pros, some cons, and and all kinds of stuff in between, even just a tiny bit, tiny, tiny bit of Premier League soccer. So uh, you're welcome, world. You're welcome. Here's Grant Ramey and I talking a whole lot of stuff. Well, Grant, it was just about a week ago now that we were sitting here talking about whether this Tennessee team had hit a wall or or whether – you know, it was just kind of a bad week and people should not panic because it's basketball and you never know day to day. And and from the looks of it, uh, maybe it was just a bad week. Tennessee has gotten back off the schneid. They've won the past couple of games since we've done this podcast, beat Kentucky at home uh, in a come-from-behind win, and then went to Nashville and had a, a really impressive uh, come-from-behind win uh, against the Commodores with the most points Tennessee's ever scored uh, in a game in, in Memorial Gym. So it's uh, been, been quite the weird week, I guess. Yeah, uh, surprise, surprise! It's really hard to figure out this Tennessee basketball team. Uh, they're still impressive. They're still, it still feels like they're punching above their their weight class, sitting here with uh, eleven wins, closing in on the halfway point, maybe twelve wins uh, at the halfway point, which would be pretty pretty crazy against just four losses. 
But, uh, I mean, it's the way they've done it. I mean, it's, it's sluggish starts now is the problem, it seems like, after the last two games. There's just not a ton of energy, uh, defensive breakdown, stuff like that in the first half, and they come out in the second half, and uh, they outscore Kentucky by 19. I read that was the most that John Calipari's ever been outscored in the second half at Kentucky, and they put up 57 uh, at Memorial Gymnasium in the second half. Uh, after Vanderbilt, you know, hit what ten three pointers or something like that in the first half, ten. So he was just sitting there watching them shoot down down ten at the break and come back and and kind of really kind of control and run away from that game. So uh, they they're they're playing well when they need to at this point, but they're still a really hard team to figure out. Yeah, that's the, it's weird. It's like the team that that could start like gangbusters against everybody, and and that was including Roy Williams going out there and warning his guys at North Carolina, hey. This team's going to come out, start fast, hit you right in the mouth. And it happened, and uh, still, uh, there was nothing they could do to stop it. I mean, it seems like Tennessee was coming out hot against everybody, but then Tennessee wasn't finishing. And now we're talking about a team that is starting like crap, let's just call it what it is, and then coming out like gangbusters in the second half. So, uh, you know, I I guess the, the thing here is basketball is not like baseball where you can go out there on the mountain and throw a, a perfect game. You know, uh, playing a perfect game in basketball would be like throwing a perfect game in baseball when every single pitch you throw is a strike on the outside corner at the knees. Like, j- just it's impossible. It's never going to happen. And so you're never going to see a true, complete 40-minute performance because uh, you're going to have bad possessions here and there, a couple bad minutes. But but this team has not been able to put together maybe even 34 or 35 good minutes yet this season in a game. And uh, maybe that won't ever happen, but it'd be interesting to see what would happen if this team would do that. Yeah, and that's what I actually just got done writing in our, our VIP basketball mailbag this week. Uh, someone asked my impressions of this team, kind of general thoughts, what I thought of them before the season, what I think of them now, stuff like that. And that's what I wrote. The next step is just play two good halves of basketball. It uh, doesn't necessarily have to be 40 minutes of good basketball, like a, a perfect game like you're describing, but 40 minutes of, of in-control basketball. I mean, uh, the SEC schedule is not going to be easy. There's not a lot of bad teams that you're going to be playing, but just find a team that you can, you know, no peaks and valleys, just no, no big runs, no, no getting up 10 early and and then giving it up. No coming back from double digits, whatever, just controlling the game from the tip uh, and just, and just riding it out and and just not a lot of nervous moments. Cause I mean, this team's young, this team's talented uh, and they got a, they got a lot of good basketball ahead of them. It seems like the, you know, the, the arrow is pointing up on this program with, with the foundation they've built, but for this team this season to take that next step, it feels like they've got to do something where they're in control both halves. They have a nice uh, start. They have a nice finish. And it's something maybe they can build on. Yeah, because, you know, you, you look at – I don't think – and we'll talk about the Kentucky game in, in just a little bit, but the Vandy game is obviously the one that's more fresh in everyone's memory uh, at this point. And, you know, there, there's no real shame in, in letting Vanderbilt – you know, Vanderbilt hitting a couple shots against you because that team's got – uh, some really, really good shooters. And I know some of the percentages aren't great this season, but uh, I've, I've, you know, I think we've both covered a lot of those guys for about three years now, some, some of them four years. And a couple of those guys are really, really good shooters. And you let guys like Lachance, Roberson uh, get going, uh, they're going to do some damage against you. The, the problem is uh, letting them get hot to begin with because they're, when I thought Tennessee was in trouble there was early in the second half, 
when it looked like Tennessee was going to mount a couple runs and then, boom, Vanderbilt would just answer with another big three. And at that point, Vanderbilt was just throwing random crap up at the rim and it was going in because you let them get hot. You let them get going. You let them feel good in their own gym. And that, to me, was the problem. Uh, Now, if I could have a team that could either start really well and finish terribly or a team that could, uh, you know, kind of start terribly and then finish great, I'll I'll take the great finishing team. So I think this is a step in the right direction, but uh, it's still not a complete game. And, you know, you're lucky if you're Tennessee that you can score that many points. You can score that well offensively because you let Vanderbilt get going like that in Memorial. I don't care who you are. You usually lose. Yeah, and what was weird about it was, you know, this is a Tennessee team that wants to be known for its defense, that wants to kind of hang its hat on the the energy and the effort they put on the defensive end of the floor, and it was just like they were standing there and letting Vanderbilt shoot over them, you know, possession after possession. And uh, Bryce Drew talked about it Monday on the the SEC teleconference. They've they've had some good looks. They just weren't hitting shots. That's why they're the worst shooting team in the league, the lowest scoring team in the league. And, and he said something like, if, if we just make those shots, that's that's the difference. Well, they were making those shots uh, Tuesday night. It was apparent early that they are going to be making those shots, uh, you know, after the first eight, ten minutes, something like that. And Tennessee just didn't make an effort. It didn't seem like to, to get out on the three-point line and really get a hand in somebody's face. It was just one open look after another. So that was the weirdest thing. It was, you know, that's not – surely that's not in the scouting report to, to make Vanderbilt shoot over you because they have guys capable of hitting those shots there. They're not a dominant uh, team in the post. They, they, they have some big bodies, but it's not guys that, that put up a ton of numbers and, and do their work in the post like like a Grant Williams or, or an Admiral Schofield, somebody like that does. So uh, that didn't make a lot of sense, but I, I mean, I guess all's well that ends well, the way they played the last 15 minutes, uh, the what, what they did on offense and what they're able to do on defense, uh, rebounding, get to the foul line, all that stuff, hitting foul shots. I mean, I think they were 25 of 28, something like that the other night. So, but yeah, they got they got to figure it out. You can't keep digging holes against somebody. A uh, and M, a team that wants to wants to win an SEC game as bad as A and M does after an 0-4 start uh, in league play. If, if you give if you give them a quick start, get yourself in a hole. It's going to be hard to come back against some of these teams. You know, the the thing that to me that was I think one of the more poignant moments in that game is you, you and I were sitting there talking, and this was actually a point you made. I'm going to give you credit for it. Was uh, at one point, Vanderbilt was something like 10 of 17 from three. And you looked up and you were like, Randy's shooting 10 of 17 from three, and it's only up four points right now. And then Tennessee hit a three. I think Admiral hit one. And that took it down to a one-point game. And then I'm thinking, okay, Vandy's 10 of 17 from three and has only turned it over like five times or four times. And Vandy is only up by one point. That's not good. That's usually a team that says, well, the, we've just taken your best punch and, and we're still standing here, which is not usually a good thing. And then uh, Tennessee kind of eventually, the, I think some of the depth there, even though Vandy had more bench points than Tennessee, I think that's kind of a misnomer because Tennessee has more depth than Vandy does. And I think Tennessee was able to just kind of grind away at it. And Grant Williams fouled out Vanderbilt's entire front line, it seemed like. And, you know, the what was really interesting about that game was – one of the things that interested me the most, I guess, anyway, was that I was talking to, I think, Bowden after the game, and, and he said they were trying to go inside out against Vandy, which is, you know, the way they do their best offense is when they kind of attack inside early, don't fall in love with the three, and then when teams have to go stop that, then they hit you outside with some, some three-pointers there, and then they kind of, you know, hit you with the body blows and then the uppercut. But he said he just kind of laughed and said, you know, the plan was to just get it inside early and then go inside out. And it's like, well, 
we didn't even really have to go out because the inside just kept working. So they never really had to go to the the second part of that. You know, the the rope a dope was needed because uh, there was absolutely nothing Vanderbilt could do with Grant Williams. And you know, Vanderbilt does have size, not the three seven footers it's had in the past. But Jerry Baptiste is every bit of about 6'10", 240, 245. He's a massive human being. And it didn't matter. I mean, Grant Williams emasculated that big guy during the game. Uh, And Admiral Schofield ties his career high in points, and it's like nobody even noticed because Grant Williams pours in 37. It was just a weird game uh, from start to finish. I mean, you, you talked about the bench points getting outscored on the bench. I think against North Carolina, Tennessee had like 33 bench points and Carolina had five or something. And then you look at this box score and Grant has 37, Admiral has 22, Bowden has uh, 12. Uh, Bone, Turner, uh, and James Daniel scored the rest of the points and then nobody else scored. It was just weird. I mean, you scored 92 points and it came from like uh, six six or seven players, something like that, but uh, yeah, what Grant can do on the block, I mean, if, if he catches it deep enough, uh, what, what he can do spinning on both shoulders, finishing with either hand, uh, I mean, if, if he starts spinning, if he gets a clean look at the rim, uh, it, it's going to be hard to stop. And, and it just felt like one of those nights where, you know, anything he throws up goes in. And, and then Admiral, you know, he not only scores in the post, but, but he's hit a lot of big three-pointers the last few weeks when – when, uh, you know, Jordan Bowden hadn't been taking as many for whatever reason over the, the four SEC games. And, and Bowden kind of did uh, give him that little spark where he had maybe eight or ten points in the first five or six minutes of the second half. But yeah, it was just a weird game uh, start to finish. Yeah, you know, you, you really don't want Admiral Schofield falling in love with that three-point shot because there's so many things he can do physically. Um, but, you know, at the same time, he's been hitting them lately. And, uh, you know, Barnes never really seems to get that upset about him at it because he, he realizes how hard Schofield works on that shot, and he knows that Schofield's got that part of his game. So uh, he lets him get away with it. And, of course, if Schofield's going to keep, you know, leading your team in rebounding, you're going to live with a couple of, you know, rough shots here and there. But, you know, it was 100% right earlier this season when Rick Barnes said the entire key to Grant Williams' game, other than the obvious thing we know, which is mentally, is if he catches the ball anywhere within about six, seven feet of the bucket, it's like I look at you every time and I go, bucket. I mean, every time he catches the ball down there, you know that what's going to happen is he's either going to score bucket, get fouled, or score bucket and get fouled. And when he's hitting 13 of 15 from the free throw line too, which, by the way, Tennessee as a team was 25 of 28 from the stripe in that game, which is about 90%, which is exceptional, obviously. And, you know, it's like you don't want them to have to keep getting away with stuff like this, but when when you're playing on the road against a decent team and that team's going bonkers from three and you're only down by four points and then one point, despite that team shooting about 65% or whatever it is from three-point range – you're you've got you've got a pretty good basketball team and you just wonder if this team's ever going to be having a complete game because you know they just don't happen in basketball but it just grant might be wrong but it seems to me like watching this team the frustrating thing is we still haven't seen this team's best but the good thing is we haven't seen this team's best yeah and they are deep they're they're deeper than they showed against Vanderbilt in terms of scoring the basketball and, and guys that can do different stuff uh, but but the I think the thing that makes you nervous if you're a Tennessee basketball fan is you're wondering who it's going to come from every night. Uh, you know Schofield's going to score in double figures. You know Grant's going to score in double figures because that's what they've done 
uh, every game this season. I think maybe one game apiece they've not scored in double figures. So you're going to get those points. You're going to get a certain number of rebounds from those guys. Uh, but who's next on the list? I mean, some nights it's Jordan Bowden, some nights it's Jordan Bones, some nights it's Lamonte Turner, some nights it's uh, James Daniel. It's, that's kind of nerve-wracking because you, you want to have a little bit more consistency when it comes to who's your third scoring option. And they're going to have to get more out of the backcourt. That's obvious. I mean, I mean, look at the numbers from the other night. I think they had 16 or something like that from, from guys not named Jordan Bowden in the backcourt. You're going to have to get more numbers night in and night out from those guys. And they're going to have to get more from more consistency, at least from Kyle Alexander, more uh, more impact on the game, at least a little bit from John Fulkerson, who who had a couple of good plays against Kentucky, but other than that, hasn't really uh, shown anything. But uh, yeah, you're right; they haven't played their best game. I don't think they've played anywhere close to their best game. Uh, they've played really good halves of basketball, had some really good stretches, uh, but until they find that 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 really good 40 minutes of basketball, it's really hard to put your finger on on how good this team can be. Yeah, I'm as much as I like just about everything Rick Barnes has done since he's been at Tennessee. And again, I tend to just kind of be honest about calling things the way I see them. And and I I like most of what Barnes has done, or I at least understand it. Uh, but the way he is with Kyle Alexander, sometimes I'll be honest, I just don't get it. That, that's uh, you know, I think that that kid's got so much talent that Barnes probably knows that better than anyone. So when he doesn't see that he's getting the best out of him, he gets frustrated. But the plus-minus numbers don't lie. The production is is not bad. And to me, it just seems like they're much better defensively when he's on the floor. Uh, now, again, I'm not uh, – you know, Rick Barnes has won, what, 650 more games or whatever more than I have. But I, I just – I understand why he plays Fulkerson because I think he believes – that to play the long game and for this team to be what it needs to be by tournament time, I think he he feels like Fulkerson needs to be that guy who gives him a little bit of something else because he's seen what Fulkerson can do at his best. So I understand that. I'm not going to ride him too hard for that. But I, I just I, I just wonder what I just don't know. I think Alexander gets an awfully quick hook sometimes, and that I, I don't I don't want to say it frustrates me, but I definitely don't get it. Well, I mean, Rick is a guy when it when it comes to quick hooks. If if you do something in the first few minutes of the game, uh, like he he talked about Kyle the other night. Kyle pushed some Vanderbilt guy on like the first or second possession, picked up a quick foul, and he gets yanked out right there. And and Rick says he's not engaged, he's not focused, he's not doing the stuff he needs to do early in the game. Uh, then he's not going to be there the rest of the game. That's what really hurts your minutes. Uh, if you're Kyle, if you're John Fulkerson, if you're anybody, if if you're not. Uh, if you're not on edge, as Rick says, and, and tuned in and ready to go to start the game, he will pull you, and, and that's going to affect your minutes. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, John Fulkerson might have a, a little bit better basketball IQ because of the, the you know how long he's, he's grown up playing the game, and, and Kyle hasn't, obviously. Uh, but the numbers that Kyle's put up, the stuff that he can do, I mean, he's their best defender uh, in the post, and I don't think it's really that close the way he can – uh, he's he's more disciplined, it feels like, than other guys defensively. The way yes. he goes straight up and, and makes people change their shots around him uh, doesn't really draw as much contact as or initiate as much contact as other guys do. But if, if he's not there, if he doesn't have a good first five, six minutes, or if he doesn't get back defensively a couple times, it's like Rick pulls him and, and, and kind of force feeds John Fulkerson, even though Fulkerson hasn't you know, even been a shell of himself from, from last season. I don't think anybody expected him to – to have some of those big games like he had last season, but he hasn't even really been close to that. I think everybody has expected him to be more than what he's been uh, to this point in terms of impacting the game and doing stuff. It's just not been there yet, and 
and, and it just seems like Barnes, for whatever reason, is going to force feed it uh, in spite of, of what it seems like Alexander Kyle does on paper. Yeah, and, and you and I talked about this on the drive to, to Nashville, and, uh, you know, th- this might just be a theory on my end that, that's not correct, but it's something that I've, I I really do think that I believe. I'm going to say, yes, I think that I believe this. But but that's, that's the – I'm not going to say I know, but it's just something I've, I've been thinking about is that – you know, John Calipari with his teams, for all the flack that he gets in certain circles, the fact is Calipari knows that he's coaching for the postseason. And if he has to have his team go out there or a couple guys go out there and embarrass themselves or if he needs to prove a point by benching somebody even though it means that they're going to lose that game, Calipari is one of the better guys I've seen at playing the long game and knowing where he needs to have his team by the end of the year. And when you look at the results, you can obviously see that, that he's done well with that more than he hasn't. And I think that there's parts of that to Rick Barnes with what he's doing with Fulkerson because I think Barnes feels like this team's going to be a tournament team. I think he wants this team or thinks this team can maybe make a deep run in the tournament, and I think he knows to get there that the way Fulkerson can, can give them a little bit defensively, the way that he can go in there against zone defenses and he can go to the the point there at, at the, around the free throw line and make the right pass to kind of unlock a defense and get open looks I think he feels like Fulkerson can give them something they don't have right now and so he wants that's why he's force feeding Fulkerson because I, I think he's trying to play the long game there and I understand that as long as it's not costing Tennessee wins I don't have a problem with it but there have been times this year where I, I keep wondering God, he's giving him too many minutes but I think he's. I think he's trying to play the long game here. Yeah, and, and that's a good point because the last two seasons, that's really not the case. I mean, uh, they they for very briefly last what late January they looked like maybe a bubble team uh, if they kept playing that way the rest of the season. But other than that, uh, they've never even really uh, projected to be a tournament team or a bubble team. They've never really played themselves into that scenario. So this is maybe a, yeah a, a different kind of side of Rick Barnes' coaching style when he has a team that he knows. Uh, is going to be there in March and, and is going to be a factor in the postseason. Uh, John's just got to get back to, I think, the biggest thing that helped him last year. It wasn't skill. It wasn't, uh, you know, any one thing. It was just effort, energy. I mean, he, he kind of knows where to put himself on the floor, it felt like, last year at times to Confidence. To, to win yeah. to win loose balls, stuff like that. I mean, he's, he's obviously, I don't think, as strong as he was at this point last year, uh, m- missing so much time in the weight room and all this stuff over the last 10, 12 months. Uh, and yeah, and you're right. Confidence. He's got to get back to the point where he he knows he can do it. Feels like he can do it. And but but if he just gets out and you you feel like if the energy was there, the effort was there, just you know getting on the floor for loose balls. And I mean last year he was just all over the place, kind of I don't know, like a Tasmanian devil almost. Yeah. It was just kind of you know going from side to side of the court and doing all this stuff. He's got to get back to to some form of that because yeah, they they need some shade of him uh, moving forward to to impact him and and. You know, I know it drives people insane that, that Rick plays him the, the minutes he plays him, but they've won, they've played 15 games, they've won 11 of them. I don't know if there's been one game where John Fulkerson's minutes have really cost them the game, uh, but they're they're at a point where they're 11 and four, two and two in the league, and, and they're projecting towards the tournament. So it hasn't cost them too much at this point. So maybe it does uh, benefit them in the long run. Yeah, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this. I mean, we sort of hinted on it earlier that we were going to mention it more, but. You know, even after that game, you watch what Bowden does in the second half, and 
and I started talking to him after the game about it, and, and we were asking him if, you know, if if the coaches had gotten on him to be more aggressive, and because he clearly, clearly was trying to be more aggressive there early in the second half, and and he said it wasn't so much offensively, it was defensively, which again sometimes I love that kid. I wonder what planet he's living on, but you know, it's like he's one. He might be the only person on that team who doesn't know that he is maybe the second best offensive player on that team behind Grant Williams, and it just makes me wonder if if he's still just going to defer and that's just what he's going to do. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, he goes five for five uh, from the three-point line against Wake Forest. That was December 23rd, and here we are on uh, January what what's 11th, 12th, something, whatever the game Saturday is. I don't even know what the date is there, and he's only had five three-point attempts total in four games since then. I mean, that just that doesn't make any sense, and – uh, I think it was against Furman. He he kind of drove the ball a little bit more and, and tried to score from different areas of the floor, and I think he was somewhat successful doing that. Uh, there was another game, maybe Auburn, where it seemed like he was trying to get to the rim and, and he just wasn't finishing. I don't think he made a shot from the floor uh, that entire game. I mean, his most natural thing is is camp out on the perimeter, catch and shoot the ball. I mean, he's, he's one of the best catch and shoot guys uh, in the SEC. Uh, he waits for the right shot. Uh, credit him for that, but but he's got to shoot the basketball more. I, I swear, the more I watched him, the last four games, the more it seems like he's in his own head. Like he's, yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think he reads into stuff, but I mean, obviously, he's been asked more about it. His teammates have been asked more about. It. I'm sure the coaches have told him they want him to be more aggressive, shoot the ball more. Uh, but it it's just not happening. It doesn't make sense. Maybe if there's a game where he hits, you know, three quick threes, he just kind of snaps back into his old self, something like that. But uh, to this point, uh, that's one of the more difficult things to figure out, a uh, hard question to answer, because he should be uh, the third best scorer on this basketball team right now. Yeah, and, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, you, you remember, I mean, everyone knows this. I'm saying, do you remember this? Everyone remembers uh, uh, Derek Dooley Esquire's uh, rant on Rommel, right? Yeah, where's Rommel? The thing where he goes, where, where he talked about the German officers sitting there and going, I'm not doing anything until I have orders. I'm just going to stand right here. That, to me, it seems like Bowden, if if it's not like just a clearly excellent shot, he won't take it. And that means that there's times where he's got really good shots that no one in their right mind would complain about him taking, even if he airballed them, and he still will turn them down and he'll kick the ball back out. It's like he wants to get the offense going in rhythm, and it's like, bro, you're a 60% three-point shooter. You get the ball with more than two steps, nobody around you, that shot's got to go up. I mean, it, it's got to – that's got to happen, like, instinctfully without you even thinking. That's got to be, like, just a, just a reflex. Like, a doctor hits you with that little hammer right in the knee and you kick. Like, anytime he catches the ball in space, the shot needs to go up. And to me, it, it, I don't know that that's anything – that if you don't have it, I don't know that you can get it. And and that's the thing that, that worries me with him is that he's always going to sell himself short a little bit because he doesn't he just doesn't have that mentality to be kind of a you know an eighteen, twenty point scorer. Yeah, and, and the most uh I guess frustrating ones are the ones where he's one of the first guys down the floor in transition and the point guard uh, gets him gets him the ball on the elbow and the defender's a couple steps away, but he won't pull the trigger out there. He'll kick it back out to the guard and kind of set up the offense. I, I don't know if that's because he wants to get the offense flowing. He doesn't want to take that shot. He doesn't want to, you know, put up that shot before he has rebounders down on the other end of the floor. But 
Uh, it seems like more often than not, that's one that he's passing up that it feels like, man, just shoot it. You're stepping into that shot. It's in transition. You're, you're shooting 60% from right there. Uh, let it fly and see what happens. But yeah, if, if it's a confidence issue, I mean, it's just not going to happen until he forces it a little bit and sees that it works. Yeah, because one thing about, about Rick Barnes' offense, and I think this is something that, you know, I, I don't know that people think about things like this, but when Barnes tells guys to take shots that they take in practice, to take shots they take in practice that the whole team knows they're going to take, there's two reasons for that. The first one's the obvious one. If you, if you shoot that ball, the, you, you take that shot all the time, you're going to be comfortable taking that shot. You're going to make that shot more than you're not. That's the obvious reason. But the other reason, and it's just as important, is that if you know where your teammates are getting most of their shots, you know where the ball's going if they don't make it. You know you're in position to go get the rebound, and that is one of the reasons why Tennessee has been so excellent on the offensive glass sometimes. It has nothing to do just with athleticism and effort. I mean, that, that's that's a huge reason. But it's also because when you're disciplined on offense, this is basketball 101, if you're disciplined on offense, you know where your teammates are going to shoot the ball, you know where the ball is probably going to go if they miss it. So you can be in position better than the opponent can to go get the rebound. And that is a, that's why when Rick Barnes talks about in the flow, do what you normally do, that's the reason why. It's not because he's OCD about it. It's because there's a method to why they're doing it. And the, the frustrating thing is Bowden's teammates want him to take more of those shots. They know if he pulls the ball from there and he pulls the trigger, it's going to go in. And they, can't, they, they, they just can't make him do it because he keeps hearing Barnes in his head saying they want to go inside out, they want to go inside out. But that doesn't mean that you pass up open shots. I mean, to, I, I, I'm going to hazard a guess here that Jordan Bowden has never been taken out of a game because he was shooting too much. I'm pretty sure that's never happened in his career because he's probably, until he got to Tennessee, almost always been the best scorer on his team. So uh, that's why this whole deferring mentality, it, it's weird for me. It's like he maybe he picked it up at prep school when he wasn't the biggest prospect on the team. Um, but I know when he was at Carter, he was sitting there having to kill people because that's how Carter could win games. So the whole thing is just sort of baffling to me. Uh, and people might say we're sitting here being too negative about a team that's 11-4. and four. But the fact is, Grant, I think it's a good thing for Tennessee because those of us who are around the team every day know how much better this team could be playing. And, and that's why it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because this team could be really, really good if it would do what we knew it could do. Yeah, and, and one thing with Bowden, I mean, if there's an exception to the inside-out play, I mean, it's Bowden shooting threes. And it felt like, you know, his biggest strength when he was hitting a ton of shots like at Wake Forest uh, last month was – uh, his his the best thing he had going for him was his shot selection. He was passing up bad shots and, and still taking good shots and hitting a lot of those good shots. Well, now it's to the point where he's not shooting a ton at all. Uh, what's it going to hurt him if he starts shooting the ball more? I mean, if he takes a couple of bad shots, it's not like you're uh, massively affecting the game when you're not shooting threes. I mean, how many games uh, since Wake Forest has he had one three-point attempt or zero three-point attempts? A couple times. Uh, I think, yeah, a couple times, and that's insane. Uh, so you're not negatively affecting yourself if you force a couple bad shots because you're not affecting the game right now as is unless you're hunting your shot like he was in the first five, six minutes in the second half at Vanderbilt. So they got to get that figured out because like we, like we said before, this team needs a third scoring option, a consistent third scoring option, and it should be based on percentages Jordan Bowden, but it's not because he's just not shooting the ball enough. 
But I will say this, you know, uh, this was something that we brought up, or I, I mentioned in a tweet, and maybe in a story, I think, in the past week also, is that uh, in order, every team since Ken Pomeroy has done his stat rankings, ever since he started doing this, every year, the national champion has been a team that was in the top 30 nationally in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. That's kind of one of the markers that you lay down for if you want to be a tournament team and you want to go deep in the tournament and win a title, that's the easiest way to do it is statistically, if you are efficient on both sides of the ball, you got a really good chance because it's not about points per game or how many you allow per game. or per, It's all about the efficiency of what you're doing. And right now there are only a few teams that are top 30 nationally in both categories. Tennessee is top 30 nationally in both. So you look at their – there's been some lapses here and there, but this team is 22nd nationally in offensive efficiency and 28th nationally in defensive efficiency. So this team – is one of the more elite teams in the country when you break it down that way. I mean, the other teams who are in, who are in the top 30 in both are uh, Villanova, uh, Michigan State, Purdue, uh, Gonzaga is, um, North Carolina is. You know, there, there's not a lot of teams that are top 30 in both categories. I mean, even like... You know, Virginia is number one in defensive efficiency, which you've, if you've ever seen a Tony Bennett team play, that doesn't surprise you. But they're not in the top 30 in offensive efficiency. You know, uh, Texas Tech is great on defense. They're just decent on offense like that. Um, Duke is a team that is number one nationally in adjusted you know, offensive efficiency, 95th in defensive efficiency. You know, there's not a lot of teams that you look at and you go, yep, they, they've got both of those things. You know, uh, Kentucky is is 25th in defensive efficiency, 37th in offensive efficiency. A&M, really good defensively, only 71st nationally in offensive efficiency. So, uh, and Auburn doesn't do it very well on the defensive end either. So, you look at teams that can make a run, Tennessee is one of those teams that could do that. And so, the discipline on offense is one of the reasons why they are where they are. So I, it seems weird that, or counterintuitive that we're saying Bowden's almost too disciplined at times, but it just seems like there's more to his game than that. But that's something we could talk about every week. We don't have to keep, keep badgering about that. We, we've already gone on long enough about it, and by we I mean me. So, uh, Grant, when you look at this A&M team, uh, we hear a lot of times that, you know, oh, this is one of the best, you know, 0-4 teams that you're ever going to see. I'll be honest, I don't know that I've ever seen a more talented 0-4 SEC basketball team than A&M. And I've been covering this league since 2000. And uh, this team, it's had a hard time putting it together. It's had some injury issues and some, you know, a discipline issue here or there. But, man, this team is talented. Uh, and the scores don't really make sense. I mean, uh, I believe they got hammered by Alabama to start SEC play. Uh, they should have beat LSU at home on Saturday. They were up in the final minute and and Tremont Waters hits a couple ginormous three-point shots to, to, to steal that one. Uh, they, they were in position to win at Rupp the other night, uh, and Kentucky finds a way to win uh, in the final minute. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Tyler Davis, Robert Williams, DJ Hogue, I mean, Admon Gilder, you, you just go down this roster. Uh, there's a reason this team the last two years has been picked uh, towards the top of the SEC, and there's uh, – it. it it's kind of harder to find reasons why they're not playing that way. I mean, they certainly didn't play that way last year, and it started uh, with Tennessee beating them uh, in in College Station, the SEC opener, and, and it went from there, and it's kind of seemed like it's picked up from there. But 
I mean, you go back to the start of the season, they beat West Virginia uh, in one of those games in Germany by like 25 points. And West Virginia is the number two team in the country right now. They've won 14, 15 in a row since then. Uh, and A&M's had other big wins. And then SEC play started. They, I think they were 11-1 and one when SEC play started, and they've just been awful uh, and can't buy a league win. So, yeah, in terms of talent, in terms of desperation, uh, it's, it's a really – it's it's a matchup you should be nervous about because of, of what they're trying to do and, and what they haven't been able to do so far. Yeah, you know, we joke all the time that, that coaches are, are paranoid by their nature, and that, that's part of the reason why, you know, they, they watch so much film and, you know, they, they find the flaws in their team and the strengths in other teams. And so they're not always really optimistic guys by nature. But if I'm a coach and I'm watching film of this A&N team, I'm shaking my head and going, my God, this team – the law of averages is going to turn at some point because you see it just jumps off the page. I mean, they've got obviously in Williams that, you know, they've got a, a, a first round bonus pick, you know, a lottery pick there. Uh, Davis is a 6'10, 6'11 guy who can do just about everything. He's just physically so talented. Uh, Hogue's a guy who's 6'9, 6'10, can shoot the three ball. Uh, Gilder's a nice transfer guard, has been doing some things. They, they've got a lot of players that this team was ranked number five in the country going into conference play for a reason. And if you're sitting there watching that, you're going, man, this thing's going to turn at some point. This team should be at least 2-2 two and two in league play, if not more. And at some point it's going to start winning games uh, because it's pretty clear now that Kennedy's kept that team playing hard, even though it's been struggling. He, he's got that team still playing pretty, pretty solid basketball. Uh, but it's just you feel like it's going to turn at some point because that's how – I mean, can you think of many coaches you've covered, Grant, that 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 weren't wired that way? That look at that and no. go, "Man, this this is this team's going to bust at some point." Yeah, I mean, water water's going to find its level, right? Uh, then it feels like the the level for this Texas A and M team is not uh, not zero and four in the SEC and not at the bottom of the standings like they are right now. And, and you have to look at Tennessee as as young as they are, as as immature as they can be at times. I think Admiral Schofield said immaturity again the other night they're trying to still look like a mature basketball team well they've had some pretty good success these last two games with with the way they came back to beat kentucky at home the way they they won at vanderbilt and, and scored 92 points and you know 57 in the second half and you know finished really well and i guess built some confidence from there but uh, they better they better handle success the right way right here because if not they could uh, come out in, in another home game and, and kind of get punched in the mouth the way they get they did against auburn uh, and not be able to respond. I, I assume it'll be a, a pretty decent crowd for a, a six o'clock game on a Saturday and a, and a pretty big name opponent in Texas A&M. Uh, Tennessee needs to start fast, uh, play well in the first half, and, and kind of build some confidence because if there's something that will give them trouble, it's going to be size, it's going to be length, it's going to be guys like Tyler Davis, guys like like Robert Williams and, and DJ Hogue because uh, they showed against Kentucky in the first half. Uh, if you have size, if you have that kind of length, you can give them fits. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about this game, I know we've said that, you know, we're going to be talking out of both sides of the mouth here, but I know I said earlier that, that it's in general it's more important for a team to be a good finishing team than a good starting team. That's pretty clear. But, boy, starting fast is going to be important in this game because A&M's 0-4. They're going to be going into a hostile building you know that mentally they're not in the right place. I mean, they, they're going to—they're probably going to go into that game really fired up and they're going to be kind of backs against the wall, us against the world, got to win a game here, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and that's sometimes teams, especially on the road, can really kind of build around each other and, and do things like that. 
But if you hit that team in the mouth early, um, you know, I don't want to say it's going to quit, but you don't want to give that team confidence early. If you can go out there by the first or second media timeout and have a good kind of six, nine, ten point lead, I think you'd be in pretty good shape in this game. Yeah, and if you can't do that, if they are in a point where they're playing from behind or uh, it's a really tight game going down the stretch, I mean, you have to play really good basketball uh, in winning time in those crunch time minutes, the last five, ten minutes, because A&M's shown uh, the last two games at least that, that they haven't played very well down the stretch or, or they've they've had some what should have been wins that, that have gotten away from them, no, the, really no business with LSU uh, beating them, even though LSU has surprised a lot of people and uh, beat down Arkansas the other night in Fayetteville. But, uh, yeah, maybe this team can't close very well, something something there that, that if you can – if you can play well down the stretch, maybe that kind of gets them to lapse back into the, the team that's struggling. But, yeah, you don't want to give this team a lot of confidence early and, and find yourself having to come back from 10, 12-point deficit, whatever, in the second half like they've had to do uh, the last couple times. What else does this team need to need to keep doing, Grant? If there's a couple more thoughts before we get out of here, there's one thing I'm going to mention. And, again, I, you know, I'm a guy who thinks that you know, the guys who have the most talent are the guys that, that I tend to be the most critical of because they're the guys who could be doing more. Um, but I I still think there's a lot more Tennessee needs to get out of Jordan Bone. And the reason I say that is because the last few games especially, I think Tennessee has looked more dangerous or, or looked better offensively and defensively when James Daniel was pulling the strings at point guard. And Bone is a kid who has just so much natural ability. It cannot be overstated how athletic and how fast this kid is. Uh, he can take the ball with the ball in his hand, take the ball in his hand, dribbling it, go end line to end line and back in like seven seconds or less. He, he's an unbelievable athlete. Uh, can can jump, can run, has beautiful form on his jump shot. But his shot selection at times in the second half, even in that game uh, at Nashville, that that three he took to put him up by ten. There were about 20 seconds left on the shot clock, and in that situation, th- that's almost exactly what Lamonte Turner did against Arkansas to go turn that game around. And I, I just I wonder sometimes kind of what he's thinking because he's a guy who I think could be doing a lot more. Yeah, I mean, going in, going in every night, uh, first of all, they need to establish Grant Williams because uh, as great as Grant looked in the second half against Kentucky and everything he did against Vanderbilt, uh, he was a complete non-factor in the first half against Kentucky, and he was facing a really, really good player in P.J. Washington, and P.J. Washington was doing what he wanted to do on the offensive end, and he was shutting Grant down on the defensive end. Uh, Grant can't kind of have those halves. He can't be taken out of games like that because when he's taken out of a game, Tennessee's taken out of a game. Uh, Admiral Schofield needs to keep hitting the jump shots as he's hitting because when he hits those jumpers, he's obviously a different play- player. Uh, everything we've talked about with Jordan Bowden so far, but I think what hasn't happened the last few weeks that needs to happen is some consistency between guys that you're talking about, Jordan Bone, James Daniel, uh, Lamonte Turner. They can't all be hit and miss at the same time. They have to have some consistency, uh, know what you're getting out of those guys because they're going to have to win some games with their backcourt. Uh, when you face a Texas A&M team with, with Robert Williams down low and Tyler Davis down low, it's going to be really hard to, to, to live inside out and, and do that. You're going to have to hit a lot of jump shots and, and do stuff over top of them because of the size they have in the post. So as good as Grant's been and plugged in, he's got to establish himself every night. Uh, the same with Admiral hitting jump shots. Uh, but, a, but a huge X factor moving forward is how much of, of a role can these role players play, the guys in the backcourt, how consistent can they be? Because if they, if they do establish some consistency there, if, if, 
if if somebody's scoring a certain amount per night and, and hitting jump shots and, and not turning the ball over, uh, I think that's a big time uh, game changer for this team. Yeah, and I think that with Admiral Schofield, I'm on record saying this, if he's going to rebound as well as he can rebound, I will live with him doing a couple <laughs> things on offense I don't love because he's a when he wants to, he is an absolutely unbelievable rebounder. When he wants the ball, he usually goes and gets it. And he's, if, he, if he will do that, then I'll live with him occasionally making me go, when he's taking some stuff on offense, when he's doing that kind of that, that ridiculously low percentage fallaway jumper from the baseline that he does and, and all those things. If he's going to rebound, I'll live with that. Uh, but, yeah, I think that it's you, – you've got to get that kind of consistency from Grant Williams. Uh, you look at those kind of butterfly effect moments, and, and I think that we could be talking about a completely different season for Tennessee right now if P.J. Washington doesn't get cramps in the second half in Thompson Bowling Arena because I don't know if Tennessee comes back and wins that game if Washington stays on the floor because he was in Grant Williams' head big time. And I, I don't know uh, what happens at Vanderbilt if they lose that game against Kentucky. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the butterfly effect is always an interesting thing to think about. But I, I just, you know, sometimes you need breaks during the season, and I think that's something that, that now you can win that game. And now when you go to Rupp, you can sit there and remind Grant Williams, hey, by the way, remember that time P.J. Washington owned you? And, and so even Admiral Schofield was already kind of, you know, chiding Grant Williams about it, giving him, poking him in the ribs a little bit, you know, the other day saying that, that uh, how, how much P.J. Washington kind of owned him a little bit at times. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the frustrating thing is that this team is not – has not played as well as it can play. But the, the really cool thing is this team has not played as well as it can play because uh, it's already – we're sitting here talking about all these things that need to be better. They're top 30 nationally in offensive and defensive efficiency. They're ranked 15 in the Kempom rankings. Uh, they'd be a pretty solid – you know, pretty pretty high tournament seed if the if the season ended today. So that, it's cool that, that there's so many things that they could do better and they're still winning because that way you can keep motivating a team to improve, but you're still winning games. Yeah, and and it sets up well for them the rest of the season because they have big games at home like like a Texas A&M, like Florida, uh, Georgia, uh, LSU. Those are all teams that come to Knoxville and, and have to play a Thompson Bowling Arena. And if they do keep winning at this rate uh, that they've done so far, there's going to be a lot of nights where there's a lot of people in the building and a lot of energy and, and stuff like that. And, and with this team and with this jumbled up, as I mean, the SEC is deep but it's not very top-heavy right now. At least it doesn't look like that, so there's going to be a lot of teams beating up on each other uh, throughout league play. Uh, if you have a good home court advantage, that makes a difference, but you need to take care of business at home, and, and you're right with those percentages in terms of efficiency on both ends of the floor. It sets you up for where you don't have to hit a ton of shots every night to win games or, or you don't have to hold a team under 70 points every night to win games. You can kind of make it work night in and night out if, if you're playing well enough. Uh, on both ends of the floor you don't have to do anything crazy but uh, this team needs to to keep taking steps forward they they don't need to have uh, obviously the sky wasn't falling after the Auburn loss but it felt like it could be falling if they didn't do something they need to avoid those stretches and play good basketball and and they need to to not give Texas A&M any confidence and, and kind of keep rolling in the right direction yeah the right now the SEC in basketball sort of reminds me of uh, the Premier League in soccer uh, because there's a whole it, – it's probably the, 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 the deepest league in the country right now, but I don't know if there's a Champions League winner in the bunch. So it, it, it's kind of like, man, this is really exciting to watch every week, but uh, I don't know if there's, a, if there's a title contender in here really. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Kentucky later in the season, but I don't know that that team 
uh, has what some of Cal's other teams have had. And then there's that Florida team, which I think does have the talent to maybe be a title contender, but it's kind of been erratic at times. So, you know, I, I, it's interesting to me because I don't know that there's a national title contender there, but, man, there's a lot of potential Sweet 16 or, or Elite 8 teams in there maybe. This is a deep league, I think. Yeah, and at the risk of making everybody tune out, I guess that would make Tennessee, Burnley maybe. Uh, let's see, Kentucky. <sighs> let's see here. Uh, no. Um, like Spurs maybe? No, or like uh, West Ham usually? Yeah. Te- te- Everton. Texas no, a- Everton. Everton. That's it. Everton. I, I, I was going to say Texas A&M was Everton because they, they should be doing more with what they got. Ah, well, I was talking traditionally kind of Everton's that team. That's oh, like no, right I'm below. talking about – I'm talking about the current table and the current standings, but we've completely just tuned out everyone listening to this. That's okay. We were just having a good time at the end of it because when we can mention the Premier League uh, on this uh, podcast, we're going to do that. And if you don't like that, well, then um, you can you can uh, rewind or, or fast forward past that part. If, if you've made it this far into the basketball recruiting, uh, basketball podcast, uh, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good point. Anything else you want to add on your way out the door, Grant? Uh, the Anthony Simons chase continues. Uh, caught up with him at the airport. If you didn't read anything I wrote, uh, it speaks volumes that Tennessee got the first official visit for him since he reopened his recruitment, and he hasn't even scheduled other official visits to this point. I think Tennessee does lead for him. He's the five-star 2018 kid, a, a top-10 player in his class, the the guard out of IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, he would be a game changer and a program changer if Tennessee could add him to this roster that they have returning. Uh, next season and I think honestly Tennessee thinks they're hard to beat in this chase if he does go to college and doesn't enter the NBA draft which he's going to have to get some really really strong feedback if he does that but Tennessee has put themselves in a position where it's kind of feels like it's all their all their chips are pushed in the center of the table on this kid and they've they've put themselves in a position where they're hard to beat so that's something to keep an eye on as 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 well they played this year and they've kind of been a surprise in the SEC Uh, they could have a really good 2018 signing class if that kid decides to go to college and picks Tennessee. So uh, stay tuned there. Yeah, maybe a, a Trey Young type of player, perhaps, for, for Tennessee next season. So never know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you're returning 12 or 13 guys on schedule and, and you're already a, a top 25 basketball team, adding that guy would make you a uh, – that, that would be the definition of a program changer. That was Grant Ramey and I talking a little Tennessee basketball to you. We like to think of it as talking – with you uh, and not talking to you, but really it's talking to you because it's not a conversation, uh, that this is not a two-way deal. You all just have to listen to us, and you have to like it, or, or you can not like it, and that's okay too. But want to give a special shout-out to those of you who do listen, love listening to this podcast, especially those of you listening on Spotify. We're now, I think this is our first week officially on Spotify now, so in addition to iTunes and Google Play and iHeartRadio and Stitcher and all the other fine places, tune in, all the places that you can get this uh, fine, fine podcast. Uh, We love everybody who uh, helps us distribute this program to y'all. And I hope y'all have a good weekend. Hope y'all enjoy some some basketball this weekend. Hope y'all stay dry this weekend. I know depending on which part of the state you're in, there's going to be either maybe a lot of rain or a lot of uh, wintry type weather. So, Uh, Everyone be careful on the roads. Have a good weekend. And we'll be back next week talking a little more Tennessee football uh, and basketball and recruiting and everything else with you. See y'all.